Welcome to the podcast. You've got two of us tonight. You've got myself with Stan the Fury Dragon, because um, apparently I'm always here. And you've got Linguistic Dragon. Hello, hello, because I'm semi-nearly always here. Indeed. Um, so, I had initially actually written up a bunch of show notes to do uh, an episode about Ultima Forever, because it was the anniversary, the first anniversary, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, of that game's closure. Uh, it was shut down on August 29th of 2014, and uh, I've still been trying to collect my thoughts for a year since then, but, <laughs> <laughs> and actually there's a lot of other stuff too. I mean, it's a, I tried to make it a pretty interesting episode. There's a lot of stuff that kind of went on in the background, uh, which I was privy to that, uh, and, and I'm trying to, you know, bring some of it to light. I mean, I don't think I can share all of the juicy details, but there is a lot of neat stuff I think that I'd like to try and bring out, but, uh, we're shelving that idea for a week because it is this week. It is the 30th anniversary of the release of Ultima four, uh, on the 16th, actually. Yes. Right. So, um, if I'm really, really lucky, and if no further errors plague our attempts to record this podcast, um, maybe I'll even be able to have this podcast up released on the Codex on the 16th. That would actually be really, really great. And there's a couple of other things that I've got kind of in the works for that, which I'm hoping all come to fruition at the same time. So, <clears throat> anyways. So, yes. Ultima 4. Well, let's try and do a podcast with absolutely no show notes whatsoever. Although, I guess it is worth noting that we can do a few things. Um, <laughs> yes. In particular, uh, we do have some new followers, actually. We have uh, a new follower on Podbean. We have Ploy812. And then there's a few new members of the Ultima Dragons Facebook group. So, welcome and Splut. Yes, welcome and splut to Donnie, Roger, Sarah, Robert, Kate, Mick, and Ian. Yes. All right, so Ultima 4, I mean, came out 30 years ago. I think most people, I mean, obviously most Ultima fans, and I think even a lot of people who kind of, you know, maybe aren't completely familiar, haven't completely played the entire canon of the Ultima series, understand that Ultima 4 is kind of a big deal. It often gets cited <laughs> by uh, game de- <laughs> it often gets cited by game developers and of course by Richard Garriott himself as you know like one of the the games, one of the highly influential games, one of their favorite games even in a lot of cases. And not for no reason. I mean, hopefully within this episode we can kind of tease out some of the ways that you know Ultima 4's legacy continues to this day. Hint, Bioware. Um, <laughs> we'll get to, we'll explain that in a little bit. Spoiler okay, alert. What is ul- yeah, spoiler alert, Bioware. Um, yeah. But, okay, so what is Ultima 4? That's, uh, let, let's just kind of lay out a little bit of a framework of what the game actually is. Okay, so it is the fourth numbered entry, and if you want to include a Calibeth, the fifth entry overall, in the Ultima series. It was uh, much like Ultima 1, 2, and 3. It was, you know, a tile-based, top-down view RPG. A little bit bigger, of course, than its predecessors in terms of the size of the world, in terms of, you know, the, the, the graphics looked a little sharper, had a little bit more color to them. Um... But again, open world RPG. And it came out kind of in response. I mean, you may recall, some of the listeners may recall or may have heard that, you know, during the 70s and during the 80s, there were sort of these these different moral panics that kind of uh, crept up and and, and, uh, erupted around different forms of entertainment media. You may have heard, you know, hoary old tales of people who wanted to, uh, or who asserted that if you, uh, played rock music backwards, for example, there would be satanic messages there. And then of course, you know, groups like ELO riffed on that where they would like start up there. There's always one ELO song. I can never remember the title of it, but it starts with basically Jeff Lynn's voice 
I can't remember what he was saying, but it, they played his voice backward. So it sounds like really, really messed up. But then if you actually were one of those people who played the record backward, you'd get the actual message, which was kind of, um, but anyways, so, you know, that was a thing. And it also happened in computer games. Yeah. Even back in 1985, you know, even back when the violence, if you want to call it that in Ultima three, say was my little stick figure is making radiating concentric circles appear on this orc stick figure over here, you know, no real blood or gore or anything to speak of. Gosh, I still remember playing Command and Conquer the first time. And, you know, like the first time my machine gunner or one of my infantry troops killed one of the computer's infantry troops. And there's like three red pixels that like fly <laughs> across the screen. And my buddy's just like, oh, my gosh, this game is so violent. <laughs> you know, it seems it seems trivial now, I suppose. <laughs> but anyways, <clears throat> I'm, <laughs> I'm wandering off topic. That's a good sign. Um but anyways, yeah, so, you know, even hey, back in the 1980s, it is. So even back in the 1980s, you know, concerns over violence in video games. I don't think it helped that the cover art for Ultima 3 was, you know, this horrific, demonic looking creature, right? So, of course, post Ultima 3, Richard Gary at Origin started getting um, a lot of concerned and angry letters lambasting them for propagating satanic messages and corrupting the youth and oh my gosh these games are so violent and all of this stuff and while Gary himself you know kind of I mean he knew the games he was making and he knew that he wasn't doing these things I'm not baking satanic messages into these games it was like the last thing you're killing the demons I mean come on but at the same time I mean it did impact him at some level and so part of the genesis of Ultima 4 was, you know, his desire to do something that was, that would completely upend that, you know, and, you know, basically his, <laughs> and Richard Garriott's style with his critics has always been to turn and engage. Um, and, and that's commendable in a lot of respects. So with Ultima 4, he very much did that, you know, fine. Like, I mean, it's not that the game is a non-violent game. You can't pass the game without grinding through a truly mind-blowing number of enemies. But it is to say that, you know, the game completely upends what had been basically the dominant, um, the, the, the dominant uh, trope in RPGs, which is to say, you know, land in peril, big bad thing, you adventurer, you wipe out all the monsters and kill the big bad thing and save the land in peril. Ultima 4 has none of that. There is no arch villain. There's no big boss that you have to defeat at the end of it. I mean, there's no mundane, Minax, Exodus. They're all gone anyways. Britannia isn't even in peril. You know, Britannia's kind of, I mean, it's coming out of this, you know, unification of the states of Caesarea into this one cohesive kingdom of Britannia. So there's been some civil strife. Uh, we'll learn about that in later games when they talk about like the history of the bloody plains, we'll learn about that in Serpentile, of course, when we see the other side um, of, you know, of that political divide. <clears throat> but, you know, in general, at the time that Ultima four happens, Britannia's doing all right. You know, there's monsters wandering the countryside, but there's always monsters wandering the countryside. The land isn't really in peril. Um, there's really nothing wrong. They're kind of having a bit of a cultural renaissance, actually. And that's actually the reason that the game happens, because as part of that, Lord British summons the Avatar to Britannia um, to become the embodiment of this new uh, ethical system that he has thought up to serve as kind of, you know, the guiding principles of this new unified kingdom of Britannia, the three principles, and from them, the eight virtues. Um, and, you know, you are summoned to be the avatar who will uh, embody those virtues. And so the whole game is basically exploring, you know, it is basically just exploring ethics and not just ethics in general, but your ethics in particular, you know, the only enemy in the game or the main enemy in the game is you, you are going to be your main impediment to progress. Um, <clears throat> if you act in ways that are unethical and I mean, okay, it's not like 
the deepest of deep Thomistic philosophy that, you know, it is still a game that's, you know, 30 years old and had to fit on a couple of floppy disks. So <laughs> it, a lot of the moral quandaries Not much room for are deep philosophy <laughs> on that. Exactly. But, uh, so a lot of the moral quandaries are, you know, like, well, do I cheat this old lady who's blind? You know, do I, do I cheat her on the number of coins I give her or don't I, but still at the same time, I mean, to, to the extent that it was possible, with the technology of the day, it really, you know, tries to pester and pepper the player with all these different moral quandaries. And then it's running all of these little counters in the background. You know, have you gained an eighth in this particular virtue? Have you lost an eighth in this particular virtue? Um, and unless you are a full eight parts avatar, uh, you, you, you can't pass the game. So really you are your main barrier to, uh, to, passing the game that and you know just grinding out the sheer volume of time that is necessary to actually um become an eight-part avatar (laughs) (laughs) i i i hope you have a hundred hours if you're if you're going to take the game on um and if oh come on it doesn't take me that long anymore what's that keyword i'm sorry what was that (laughs) (laughs) i knew you were gonna latch onto that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> actually and we'll talk about too if you've never played ultima 4 uh well there's a thing that maybe i'll cite uh or oh please do if it's bit. what i think if, if, it's, if it's what i think it is please do that that brainy gamer article yes 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 <clears throat> yeah we'll get into that but okay so that's we've laid down kind of a framework of what ultima 4 is but i mean <laughs> I'm really not the best person to talk about it because I think I've passed it like once. And to be <laughs> honest, I really, really struggled with it. Um, oh, you wound me. But I, I do. But then again, I also like Ultima 9. So I make a point of wounding many Ultima fans. Well, um, well you and I are in the same boat on that one. <laughs> but Linguistic here um, is a huge Ultima 4 fan. So, uh, before we, maybe, you know, we'll save the brainy gamer thing for a little bit. Uh, linguistic, uh, I don't know, walk, walk us through some of your thoughts on the game. <laughs> well, I suppose it's, it's kind of hard for me to talk about my experiences with Ultima 4 without referring to my experiences with gaming in general, because Ultima 4, in a lot of respects, was kind of the game that made me enjoy video games, that made me a a gamer for however you want to define that, I suppose. Um, but um, I was first introduced to Ultima Ultima four by my cousin when I was uh, nine or so, something like that. And it was, it was kind of my first experience with a game that actually tried to tell a story. I mean, everything I'd played before that was the edutainment style of games, the, uh, the reader rabbit, the Carmen San Diego, the, uh, the super solvers games, Ultima 4 was the first thing I'd played and that I actually, A, enjoyed um, of that style, um, and B, actually tried to tell a story. It was it was different. It was new. It was exciting. It was fun. And, um, well, the thing that stands out to me about Ultima 4 even now is, is how unique it is in the fact that it is kind of plotless. I mean, as stated before, the only... And real overarching enemy you have is yourself. I mean, it's no coincidence that one of the last fights you have in the game is against the mirror image of you and your party, essentially. Um, it's it's a story that that basically conflates the um, the story of the character in game and the story of the player itself. It's it's a way of um, it's. It's it's a story that's that's personal more than it is about about the world and the land itself. It's it's about the development of a single person trying to figure out a system of morality that works and how to demonstrate it and live it. And it's basically the best form of second person storytelling I've ever seen. I mean, I read this article a long while back about um about different media and how well suited they are to different forms of storytelling and how 
books are very well suited to, you know, telling a story in first person, the, um, you know, telling a story through, through the eyes of a character and really getting inside their head and knowing what they think of the events unfolding around them and how movies are excellent at telling stories in third person, kind of seeing everything from above and all the angles. But, um, but a story in second person is what tries to draw the reader or the viewer or however you want to define the person experiencing the story, the actual person reading or or playing or whatever's going on in the story, drawing them into the story and making it about them rather than anything else that's in the uh, the story itself. And that's basically what Ultima 4 does in a nutshell. I mean... It's it's not just the character story; it's the players as well as they try and figure out what the heck is uh, going on, trying to learn what they can and demonstrate demonstrate what they've learned. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like we said, you know, sometimes it's a little bit simplistic. Like you know, valor is very easy to accumulate as long as you don't run away from a fight. Um, <clears throat> of course, you know. So I mean, there's not. Uh, a lot of granularity there. If we ever do an episode on, you know, the, or if we ever do episodes on the eight virtues, I have a lot of thoughts about, you know, valor coming at it from more an Aristotelian perspective, virtue as a golden mean between two equal and opposite vices. Right. And to my mind, I mean, is it, should you really lose an eighth of valor if your level one party blunders into a dragon's lair and you decide to withdraw <laughs> <laughs> and, and return at a time Discretion when it might be is the better of a, part of valor. Exactly. Where does valor become recklessness? Um, exactly. But yeah, you know, but again, you know, we talked about that a little bit, you know, to the limits of, uh, to, to the limits of, uh, the technology of the day and the writing ability of Richard Gary and others at origin, it really was a really, it, it did really try to make, the game, yes, about the avatar and about the player as the avatar. So very much that second-person storytelling style, uh, which is something that, you know, the other Ultima games did kind of try to hold on to with varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. So um, so in part there, you know, Ultima 4 set, laid the groundwork for how much of the rest of the Ultima series would proceed. It, uh, I mean, it also tried to make morality into a gameplay mechanic. And you know, that's interesting because that is something that uh, really lingers on until this day. It's interesting in that, you know, there's kind of been this um, <laughs> nowadays we would consider a game like Ultima four to be up for the amount of combat that it throws at the player. You know, it would be a particularly hardcore action game on that basis. Right. And, th- and there are games sort of, you know, more niche type games that are really just all about the grind and fighting your way through every single foe. Um, but then, you know, Ultima three was much the same, right? Like Ultima three, two, one, these are all just, Hey, monsters, 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 end boss done. Um, you know, <laughs> there's still plenty of games. <laughs> there are still games like that. But then, of course, with Ultima 4, now all of a sudden you have this extra layer, this morality as gameplay mechanic. And that is something that has really, I mean, that is that is big in RPGs, Western RPGs, at least today. Uh, you know, we mentioned, uh, I mentioned Bioware a little bit earlier. And I mean, that's been their shtick since, well, at least Knights of the Old Republic. It's probably not really surprising that, uh, you know, be. And I mean, the doctors have both left uh, Bioware since then. Greg Zestrick and Ray Musica have both both left the company since then. But it's not really, it shouldn't be, I hope, surprising that they uh, were huge Ultima 4 fans. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of that, uh, I, I think that did influence a lot of how the, how they went about designing games at Bioware and, you know, what they, uh, sort of push their teams toward because you see that morality driven gameplay in KOTOR. You see it in Jade Empire. Uh, you definitely see it in, in Mass Effect, in the Dragon Age games. Um, 
it's really become, you know, that's one of that and romances are kind of, you know, Bioware's two major calling cards. <laughs> and you see it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, we're, hmm, I don't know if we'll ever do an episode on, on, oh my gosh, I have so many. Anyways, you and the me things both. you see, the things you see on Twitter, my, my goodness, the things you, yes, see slash hear on Twitter. But anyways, <clears throat> And, and other games do this too, to, to varying degrees. I mean, the Witcher games do it to some degrees. The, uh, the, the Elder Scrolls game do it to a certain degree. The idea that, you know, games will throw moral decision points at you is, uh, is commonplace now in, in the Western side of the RPG genre, at least. Um, and, and in the Japanese too. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, like the Final Fantasy games often throw quandaries at the player. Um, so that I think has kind of been one of the the real lingering uh, features legacies. of, or they're one of the lingering sorry legacies rather of, of Ultima Four. The design of you know a game that doesn't have an end boss is also kind of I mean that was revolutionary for its time, and it actually hasn't been revisited too too terribly much either. Uh, I mean, certainly Ultima Six did it. Um, <clears throat> you can argue that Serpent Isle kind of does it. Um, Ultima Eight has a collection of <laughs> end bosses <laughs> to defeat in the form of the Titans, and then in Ultima Nine, of course, you're fighting the Guardian himself. Um, and then, sort of post Ultima, I can't think of too many games that have really done this. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are a few, but none come readily to mind. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's except, fitting for Ultima four though, because, because what a final encounter in a game should be is kind of, kind of a culmination of everything that the game has built up to. I mean, it's, it's essentially a true. test of, of how well the player has, you know, learned the systems of the game. And, you know, more often than not, it's it's all about the the fighting mechanics. But Ultima 4 is all about the virtue system. And that's ultimately what the final encounter is, a test of how well you know the virtues and how they interrelate with each other. Yep. And I mean, like, if you look at (laughs) the, uh, yeah, very much. And I mean. Like Garriott, when he was pulling the game together, you know, like he really, I mean, he went to just about the three principles actually come more or less from the Wizard of Oz. Um, <laughs> tr- truth, love, and courage. That's, you know, the three companions truth, of Dorothy Truth for Fires, the Scarecrow, um, love the for the Tin Man, and courage for the Cowardly Lion. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> so the Wizard of Oz contributed materially to the design of Ultima Four. Uh, but then that's not unusual. Time Bandits, that month, that uh, that movie contributed materially to the design of Ultima 2. So, you know, it wasn't the first time Richard Garrett had borrowed from cinema to, you know, come up with an idea. And then at the same time, you know, he'd also fused in a lot of ideas from, uh, from Eastern religions. You'll find reflections of, you know, like Western philosophy in in there as well. I mean... Campbell's hero's journey, of course, comes to mind, you know, all of those, uh, all of those things as well. And, ba- and what he did is, you know, he, he kind of, you know, took, he just was sort of, you know, plucked out the really, really common threads that could be related back to that truth, love, courage, tripartite. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, and actually, I mean, it's because of, you know, it's through that, you know, truth, love, courage, triumvirate that, you know, you do have this idea that the virtues kind of relate to each other, right? I mean, compassion is like the virtue of pure love. Uh, whereas like sacrifice is what love plus courage, um, humility and spirituality both reflect all three of the virtues, albeit in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, or, or I, well, I mean, there's there's actually debate on humility. Spirituality is all three for sure, and then humility is either all three but in a different way, or 
kind of like a none of the above. Pride, pride is what you it's, get when you yeah. have none of truth, love, and courage, and humility is its reverse. Yeah, yeah, and humility opposes pride, so it's kind of it's perhaps not surprisingly, humility is the toughest virtue to define in real life. <laughs> you know, even <laughs> Thomas Aquinas, you know, even even Thomas Aquinas really only ever approached the issue of humility by looking at pride. Its opposite. Um, oh boy, there's a whole other episode so, in that one too. Oh, the humility could be like a multi-part series. Because uh, <laughs> 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 it's just, I mean, it's it, but that was, you know, and I think it's actually, you know, the humility that was really the, uh, the, the richest part of Ultima four, because it's insane. You know, it's, how do you make a mechanic out of humility? I mean, you know, what is the correct answer to art thou humble? I suppose the correct answer would be a blank stare. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. None of the above. Yeah. Cause it's just, you know, and maybe it's fitting then that, you know, even within Ultima four, you know, within Ultima four, they didn't even then tackle the, tackle the issue of humility directly. You know, they had to wait for the later games to really start to, um, portray humility in game in Ultima four. New Magincia is, well, it's not even New Magincia. It's the ruins of the ruins Magincia, of Magincia a city destroyed for its pride. So even there, you know, he's we're we're analyzing humility more through the lens of what it isn't. Um Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, you know, well, you know what? So, I mean, Ultima 4 Obviously, I mean, it laid the foundation for the rest of the Ultima series, you know, each of the successive games, even Serpentile, you know, the spinoff really had this idea of, you know, like making a a big thing about the virtues and the belief systems of each land that uh, the Avatar was set in. Usually Britannia. Demonstrating how well you understand them. Exactly. It's always tied in in some way, even in even in Ultima 8, you know, there's elements of that. And obviously that's ha- continued to have its impact in, you know, other games today and the design of, you know, morality during gameplay and games today. Um, but of course there is the flip side to it. Ultima four, again, it's 30 years old. And I mean, let's talk about the brainy gamer article a little bit. Yep, so for those, yes, for those of you who don't know him, brainy gamer, brainy gamer, uh, I believe his real name is Michael Abbott. Um, he's a teacher and he often makes a point of subjecting his students to, uh, old computer games. That's one of the things he does, uh, stuff like the original fallout or, uh, defender planet fall, uh, rogue. And, for the most part, he finds that his students, although he did in his article, uh, which I'll have to link in the show notes, that, you know, there has kind of been a general downward trajectory uh, over the last few years of his teaching assignments in this. Um, but, you know, he notes they can usually handle stuff like Planetfall or Defender or Rogue when he throws it at them. Fallout, they can usually get their way through. But uh, in particular, he's noticed that fewer and fewer of his students are really able to uh, get through Ultima four. And I mean, some of the, some of the comments are, (laughs) some of the comments he got were just, I've been very confused throughout the entire experience. I honestly sat here for hours trying to figure out what to do. And it just isn't making much sense to me right now or another. When I start a game, I, I like to do it all on my own, but it's been impossible to do it in Ultima. I've asked friends for help, looked up FAQs and walkthroughs, and even searched for Let's Play Ultima 4 on YouTube, but I am still uncertain as to how to get further in this game. Yeah, I have no idea what the main goal is, says another. I suppose it's basically to find out what the purpose of the Ankh is. 
facepalm. <laughs> but I see no way of yeah, but I see no way of furthering that goal. Another one. I tried for a while without any walkthroughs to get the full gamer experience sort of thing, and within an hour I gave up because of the combination of bad controls <laughs> and a hard to get into story for me at least. It reminded me of a bad runescape. Oof. Ouch. Oof. Ouch. <laughs> I don't quite understand the concept of the game. I believe my main confusion is the controls and how it displays what you've done and how you moved. I'm not used to RPGs and I don't like them too much. Well, that's unfortunate. Uh, I hope to find (laughs) out how to move forward, but so far, no luck. Or the best one is how the hell do I get out of here after I die? (laughs) Uh, Now, to be fair, he only gave them five days to make as much progress as they could. Uh... And some of his students, some of his students are usually, I guess, able to overcome this and, you know, get overcome the initial shock of the game and continue on. But more and more, he's hearing, you know, this criticism that, you know, for gamers of the current generation, an RPG like Ultima 4 is boring and pretty much unplayable. (sighs) Yeah, that's about my reaction. Yeah. And okay. I mean, putting on, you know, I mean, if I, if I try and think of it like, you know, through the, the land, through the eyes of, you know, some of the people I, you know, people I know through like, you know, the scouting movement as a leader and some of the kids I know. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can see where they would probably struggle with the game because RPG design has definitely become streamlined. We're definitely more used to, you know, um, objective oriented design, right? Even, mm-hmm. even in games like Divinity Original Sin, which try and do away with, you know, like the, ooh, ooh, ooh me, I have a quest kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> there's still, you know, more to go on. There's still more of an indication of, okay, well, now you should probably go do this thing, or now you should probably go talk to that person. And Ultima 4 doesn't do a lot of that, right? It's it, It's very much just, you know, a world that you are thrown into and it is, you know, it can be fairly difficult to survive in Britannia. So (laughs) you couple that with sort of, you know, well, I just, I got to wander around until I figure out what the hell is going on. And you may not even (laughs) start anywhere near anybody who's actually going to tell you what the heck is going on at the moment. So exactly. Depending on which class you end up with. Mm -hmm. So, Now, I mean, I guess the other side of it, and actually this was interesting because I just posted an article on the Codex about, you know, like old computer game ads because there's that guy on Flickr who's slowly collecting them. And it's interesting to see, you know, how much text is on the ads (laughs) versus, you know, versus what you'll find in a modern PC game ad where most of the text is the legal notice at the bottom. (laughs) Yup. (laughs) and i mean that's i think part of the problem because ultima 4 comes with you know the manuals there's the book of mystic wisdom there's a history of britannia and you have to read those more or less like those are essential to really it even, it even tells you to do so in the it. intro. You read the book of history. No, really, read the book of history. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, you really need to, <clears throat> to put it in there. And that's another problem, too, is because, you know, I mean, game manuals have largely gone the way of the dodo. And when there is some kind of insert in the game box that has text on it, it's never necessary to read that, right? Because it's uh, all or almost never necessary. Anyway. Exactly, right? Like in-game codices have become a big thing, journals, things like that. It's, you know, the idea that, I mean, Ultima 4 is already making you read a whole bunch because it's all text, or, I mean, all of the interaction is all text. Um, so, you know, the idea that, oh my gosh, I actually have to read these two yeah, <laughs> these two, and they're not like long books. I mean, they would barely even qualify as novellas, but still like they're a, they're a big deal. Um, in, in terms of, you know, the actual, uh, amount of, uh, 
advanced preparation they really require you to do for the book. We're not used to that. People aren't used to that in games today. <sighs> I'm trying to do it with my kids. I mean, I've got, you know, mixed up Mother Goose on the computer <laughs> for them. Um, I, I shied away from putting on Winnie the Pooh and the Hundred Acre Wood. I loved that game when I was a little kid, but I've shied away from putting it on there. I got to put Eagle Eye Mysteries on there for them too. Oh, uh, I have fond memories of that one. Yeah. But you know, trying to build up that expectation that, you know, okay, not everything has voice acting. Not everything has narrated dialogue or narrated text. Like <clears throat> sometimes you do actually have to read. Mind you, you know, we're trying to actually teach our kids to like to read. So mm-hmm. maybe they'll be able to approach Ultima 4 differently. I hope. Um but, and again, kind of drawing on my experience as a scout leader uh, and some of the other youth stuff, some of the other stuff I do with youth, um, it's no longer as bankable, you know. Uh, maybe I could read through The Hobbit by the end of grade four. You know, that was not hard for me. Probably earlier than that, actually, if I think about it. But... I wouldn't count on the average grade four kid to be able to do that today. <laughs> and that's unfortunate. That's, un- that's unfortunate. And you know, too, coming back to Ultima forever for a minute, I always remember too, um, Paul Barnett, uh, would always talk about, you know, sort of how <clears throat> comparing Ultima four versus Ultima seven, you know, is the question of stimulation versus simulation. Uh, seven of course was very much all about simulation and it's that, you know, and, and I mean, you know, the nice thing about Ultima 7 and Ultima 6, actually, to a large degree, too, is that unless RPGs really, really, really aren't your thing, or unless there's just something insurmountable about the interface that you can't get into, uh, you're always going to get drawn in by the world sim. World st- you know, the stimulation side of things is harder because, you know, gamers are expecting, you know, um, the stimulation side, it either works or it doesn't, right? Like, you know, you either hit that magic formula that captures your audience and draws them in. And then it's, you know, this repeatable thing that they can continue to do as they progress through the game or you don't hit it. And unfortunately that also kind of changes as, gaming generations progress as game design evolves as the kind of gameplay uh available to people as as the number of gameplay options expands so whereas you know back 30 years ago when it came out and you know it was you know gaming was much more you know like sure you didn't mind spending (laughs) 10 hours sitting in front of a computer grinding out a a solution to a a problem (laughs) um Nowadays, of course, the what gaming has become is so much more wider, so much more varied. There's so many more different ways to experience and enjoy games, so many different kinds of gameplay. And so what stimulated the gamer of 30 years ago, not that my dad played computer games, but for the sake of, you know, the point, what would have been a stimulating computer gaming experience to my dad maybe isn't necessarily to me maybe isn't necessarily going to be to my children. Especially if you're also not ready for heavy philosophical meditation in addition (laughs) to everything else. Yeah, no kidding. Um, So, it's... I mean, it it wasn't a game that held your hand. I mean, it was very easy to completely miss people who had crucial information for you and you'd have no idea. Yep. And I mean, everything was there to figure out the, the moon gates, how they worked, you know, the moon phases, how that all worked out. That was, you know, <clears throat> even I still occasionally like have to double check. I'm just like, wait, no, 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 no. That's not it. It's this. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and so, yeah, I don't, uh, uh, that's going to be, it's, it, it, it can be tough and it, it's kind of one of those, I mean, someone 
someone in a comment on Brainy Gamer's site, you know, likened it to Shakespeare. And I mean, I don't share the view with respect to Ultima Four specifically, but I do share the view with respect to Shakespeare. I learned plenty of Shakespeare uh, in school. You know, we covered many, many of his plays, and I mean, stuff like. Uh, My, my wife occasionally cites a couple of his works because, you know, <laughs> where he waxes a little <laughs> bit more political is sometimes relevant to the situations we find ourselves in. But, you know, for the, for the most part, I mean, I know Hamlet. I respect it as a classic. I can draw, you know, some of the moral lessons out of it. But none of the moral lessons I draw out of Hamlet are particularly unique to Hamlet. And so I don't always necessarily see the point of having learned Hamlet, except, of course, that's, you know, a convenient repackaging of that particular moral lesson, right? Um, which probably offends you greatly, linguistic, because, you know, linguistic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I get I get it. I mean, I, I had a hard time mm-hmm. with Shakespeare, too, for a while. Um, it's, it's the sort of thing that takes acclamation, and up until you are acclimated, it can be very impenetrable. And I guess mm. the same can be said of Ultima 4. It, in some respects, yeah. I mean, because, again, you know, like it's... It isn't a game to hold your hand. It isn't a game to um, really tell you anything in-game at any rate. And it's fine if, you know, you're approaching that from the perspective of, well, I just polished off Ultima 3 which is every bit as hardcore. But if you're approaching it from the perspective of, oh, crap, I just, uh, you know, I, I've been playing Call of Duty uh, for the last <laughs> two months, <laughs> oh, and oh, now my. my professor wants to wants me to pass this 30-year-old game, and oh my gosh, are those actual, like, individually visible pixels? <laughs> I hear footsteps. Someone's coming downstairs. Or maybe my wife has gotten home. Anyways. Um, regardless. I don't know. I'm kind of actually tapped out for ideas at this point. Anyways, it's... Um, I don't know, you got anything else? Oh, there's, there's one thing I will not let pass. There's sure. one thing that I will not let a discussion of Ultima four go by without mentioning. And that is the virtue test because Ultima four was the first appearance of it. And it is perhaps one of the most unique character creation methods I have ever seen in a game. And I do not often see something of, of it's like, I mean, the elder scroll it's, 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 a, it's, I can't talk tonight, but um, it's different. Yeah. Because, I mean, and, you know, too, I mean, like, that kind of harkens back to, you know, D&D and D&D being sort of the origin of a lot of the game systems that we still use today, right? It's the thing that I think is really neat about the virtues and, and you know, casting the virtues and how those factor into um, the character creation is that, you know, nowadays and classically, most people are used to manually assigning stats, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I have my base stats and then I have this little pool of points here and I can increase this or that stat as I see fit. Even even the Quest for Glory games do that, right? Um, yeah. You know, pretty much every RPG uses that mechanic where, you know, you are in complete control and you know exactly what increases to the base stats you're applying because you're the one applying them directly. The virtue casting really strips that all away. You know, I mean, once you figure out, okay, there, well, yeah, it's picking, it's a very easy system yeah. to game if to get what you want. Exactly. But. Once you figure out, okay, courage is strength, and <laughs> like you, <laughs> you can game it very easily. But the first time you're exposed to it, you have no idea about that. So you have no idea what you're going to get. Maybe you end up with a shepherd because hey, the humility answers sound kind of appealing, right? Maybe you end up with a bard because you know you're kind of just like I'm a softy, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe you end up with a fighter. <laughs> Uh, because you're just like, nope, I'm going to kick ass and take names. But, you know, you have no 
uh, until you realize how those systems work. Yeah, you don't have any control over the stats of your character or your starting location or your starting class. It's all gifted to you, grafted onto your character based on how you go about reasoning out these moral deliberations that the gypsy throws at you. And it's and it's Which a way right, of setting is, a tone. It's 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 a way of setting the tone for the game too, because when you're designing your character, it's not a matter of okay, which numbers do you want to bulk up depending on how you want to play the game. It's it's how are you going to approach some of the situations that might come up in game. It's 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 less focusing on on the mechanical aspects and more on on the narrative aspects, and it kind of gives you a character that's more representative of that rather than your intended play style. Definitely. And, you know, I mean, they kind of, they use that mechanic again and again throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the subsequent games um, to varying degrees at any rate. Uh, Actually, Mm -hmm. it wasn't in Ultima 7, was it? Four, five, and six, and then it wasn't used again until nine. Although the uh, world's games use something similar. That's true. They did. Um, But yeah, like four, five and six used it. Six, it really didn't have a lot of impact. I mean, it defined your actual starting stats, but they had mostly done away with class by that point. Right. Um, But then in Ultima nine, actually it was much more impactful because it defined your starting stats. Not that you could actually pull up and view those stats, but it did define them. Even so Uh, it also defined, yes, your starting class and therefore your starting equipment. Um, mm-hmm. you really didn't want to end up as a shepherd in that game. It was just not the way to go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's a thing. Um, but yeah, and then it's not really something that's been done. I can't even think of any other game series has really done I can something think of, similar. I can I mean, think I of two. Um, the Elder, oh, okay. the Elder Scrolls games give that option. Um, uh, at least up through um, or through Morrowind, because I remember that having it. Okay. And then um, oh, Challenge right. of the Five yeah. Realms from 1992 did as well. And that oh, one was pretty extensive. Okay. I played that one. I have hmm. not played very much of it. Um, I picked it up on GOG a while back because it looked interesting. I fired it up and it threw me into into uh, the character creation as a series of questions and like ooh. Well then, like, all right. You have my this attention. This is how we're going to go about it, aren't we? <laughs> nice, very good. Yeah, I. Uh, but yeah, it's not something that's come up, I guess, too too much outside of that. I mean, I know people have like you know built it as a game system where games have provided mod tools and scripting engines. We built one for Ultima Return back when we were doing Neverwinter Nights two as our engine. Um, so there's ways to, you know, adapt it into other games and other systems, but yeah, it's really not something that a lot of developers have done for themselves. Um, but you're right. That was sort of a radically different approach, definitely to, uh, character generation and definitely very tone setting for the rest of the game. Hang on a moment. Okie dokie. Just five more minutes. I'll be right back. (laughs) 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 I have to head upstairs here. Uh, I think we're winding down anyway. Yeah, I think, I think we are. So, all right. Um, Always remember, if you'd like to recommend anyone for a shout out, uh, send us an email which you can also use to suggest podcast topics. Uh, you can send the email to ultimacodex at gmail.com or hit up the uh, contact form on the Ultima Codex website proper. And you can also use that to suggest podcast topics, offer commentary or criticism about the podcast episodes, or even volunteer your time as an occasional or regular contributor to podcast sessions. Or lambaste us for, you know, making a complete hash of Ultima 4 tonight. It's all good. <laughs> Uh, as well, if you haven't already, you should totally sign on with the Ultimate Dragons group on Facebook. Uh, there's also one on Google+, Plus, if, uh, if that's your social network of choice. And there's also the UDIC hashtag on Twitter, uh, if that is your social network of choice. And whatever your social network of choice, please consider 
doing us a solid. And if there's anything that, you know, comes up on either the Facebook page for the Ultima series or the Ultima Codex's Twitter feed or uh, the, Ultima, the Ultima Codex on Google+, Plus, uh, I mean, I try and post a fair bit of content. Some of it's interesting to different people. Um, some of it's probably only interesting to me. But if you do see anything that's interesting, please consider sharing it. Um, spread the word. Spread the Ultima. And if you like Spam, 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 Humbug in particular, think about leaving us a review on, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever else you might happen to listen to us. Uh, finally, there's the Ultima Codex Patreon. The $1 pledge, of course, gets you access to the Spam, 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 Humbug episodes the day before they go live on the Codex, and you'll be helping maintain, and with sufficient funding, expand the server infrastructure of the Codex to better deliver Shroud of the Avatar IRC and everything else you might come looking for thereat. Before we say goodbye, uh, Linguistic, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at ultimatejourneys.blogspot.com or you can shoot me an, ale, an email at linguisticdragon at gmail.com. Excellent. And for myself, you can find me on Twitter. I am WTF underscore dragon. You can find me on Facebook, link in the show notes. You can find me, of course, via the Ultima Codex, ultimacodex.com, or you can find me on uh, aboutme, about.me, slash kenneth.cooley, K-U-L-L-Y. Um, and at the Codex, there's a contact form, goes right to my email. Uh, I think you can email me through about.me as well. Um, Facebook, Twitter, it's, everything goes to my phone, <laughs> and I respond as quickly as possible. <laughs> so... <clears throat> You know what? People are just, how do you how do you run down the battery in in half a day? How do Very you not? Easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not hard. <laughs> Trust me, it's really not hard. Okay, so uh, I guess we will sign off for tonight, and uh, with luck, this episode will finish post processing in time for a uh, September sixteenth publication. So, linguistic, you want to sign off? Until next time, folks, and remember that the quest of the Avatar is forever. Indeed, and as the Avatar, be virtuous. <laughs>